You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. I have been a parent um, for 22 years now, uh, 23 if you count the pregnancy, uh, which we do. Uh, And here's one thing that I've learned uh, uh, from being a parent. Uh, And one of the most important things I've learned is that you can never separate your heart from the lives of your children. You could never separate the heart from the lives of your children. Uh, when our oldest child, Lauren, was a, was a little baby, I remember that I would, when I'd be at work during the day, I would be thinking of her during the day, wondering how she was doing because her well-being was on my mind. Her smile made me smile. Her hurts made me hurt. Now, here's what's crazy. Lauren is an adult now. She's out of college. She's in her first job. Uh, she's paying her bills. Thank the Lord Jesus for that. Uh, she is doing it. And even though she doesn't live in our house anymore, you know what's crazy? I still think about her every day. Her well-being is on my mind. Like, and when, when she smiles, it makes me smile. When she's hurting, uh, I hurt. You, you, as a parent, you can never separate your heart from the lives of your children. Now, I want to let you in on a little secret, and that is that as a pastor, uh, there's, a, there's a similar dynamic in my role uh, as a pastor. Uh, as, as a pastor, my heart is connected to you, right? the people of Providence. Your well-being is on my mind. When, when you're rejoicing, when you're thriving, when you're growing, then, then I'm rejoicing. When, when you're struggling, when, when you're suffering, when you're straying, then I feel the weight of it. I feel the weight of it. I, I don't see any other way around that. That's just how it is. Uh, you can't separate the heart of a pastor from the well-being uh, of the church, the well-being uh, of the congregation. And, and that's what we see here in this section of Galatians as Paul continues to write this letter. We see the pastoral heart of Paul. Uh, the language he uses in this section is deeply personal, isn't it? It flows from a, a personal relationship that he has with the Galatians. He calls them brothers. He calls them his little children. He says he's laboring over them like a, a mother in childbirth. He's, he's fearing for their well-being. He's perplexed about their choices. He's like, what are y'all doing? I can't believe these choices you're making. This is the most personal part um, of the entire letter. John Stott says that in chapters one through three uh, of Galatians, we've been listening to Paul the apostle, Paul the theologian, Paul the defender of the faith. But but he says, and now we begin to hear from Paul the person, Paul the man, Paul the pastor, Paul the lover of souls, right? Paul loves these people and you can hear it in his words today. He's genuinely concerned about their well-being like any good pastor would be. And I think Paul's pastoral heart actually shows us something about the goals of gospel-centered ministry. In other words, what should we aim for, long for, pray for in the lives 
of those to whom we're ministering? What should we long for in, in ourselves? Like, what are some of the marks of a Christian's well-being, of a church's well-being? Well, I think Paul's uh, pastoral concern for the Galatians shows us some of these marks. So here's the first one. The first one is that Paul wants the Galatians to live by grace. That's his first concern. He, he wants the Galatians to live by grace. Look at verse eight. Galatians 4. Verse eight, he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you wanna be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In verse eight, uh, Paul reminds the Galatians about who they were before Christ, about their life before Christ. Their former practice as Gentiles was to worship false gods. Uh, there was a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses that, that, that they worshiped. Some of them were into astrology and the, the, worshiping the stars. Uh, they they worshiped Zeus, they worshiped Mars, they worshiped uh, Poseidon. Uh, there was a whole cult uh, of emperor worship. They, they actually worshiped political leaders. Can you believe, can you imagine that? <laughs> so glad we don't struggle with that sort of thing today. Paul says, these gods that you used to worship, they were not actually gods, and yet they enslaved you, right? They ruled your life because you somehow felt beholden to them. This is actually the natural state of every human being because we're made to worship someone or, or something. We're made to treat someone or something as ultimate, to, to look for salvation in someone uh, or, or something, and, and whatever we worship has power over us, doesn't it? it? It controls us because we give ourselves to it because we think this is the thing that will save me, that this is the thing that's gonna make me okay. And so whatever that thing is begins to rule over us, which Paul calls slavery. But, it, but, but in verse nine, Paul says, even though you were enslaved by false gods, that's not you anymore. That's, you've come to know the real God. And more importantly, he says, he's come to know you. Meaning, meaning you are now in a real relationship with the real God. We talked about that in our passage last week. Remember we said uh, last week in our passage that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us so that we could be adopted as sons. In other words, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God with all the status, with all the benefits, with all the intimacy that that entails. We know God now. We, we've gone from slavery to sonship. Not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus did. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus make our adoption possible. And we are adopted into his family by grace. And we bask in that. Like we should spend the rest of our lives basking in the warm sunlight of God's grace. Paul says, you are sons now. How can you turn back to slavery? 
you see that question there in verse nine, don't you? He says, how can you turn back again? That would be ridiculous. That's like when, the, uh, when God delivered the Israelites out of slavery in, in, in Egypt. Uh, he redeemed them by his grace. And did you know that just a few days later, they're like, um, we wanna go back to Egypt because uh, life was way more predictable there. At least we knew what our masters looked like. At least we knew the work we needed to do in order to get fed. We wanna go back to that life of predictability. And Paul says, that is crazy, man. You're sons now. How can you turn back to slavery? Now, what are the Galatians turning back to? Look at verse nine. He says, they're turning back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Now, what are these elementary principles he's talking about? Well, in Greek, it's one word. Uh, and it usually referred to the, the elements that make up the material world. Things like air and wind and water uh, and fire. And, and pagan religions believed that there were spiritual forces, there were gods that were working behind and in and through these elements to affect people's lives. And so people felt like I gotta worship these gods, I gotta pray to these gods in order to have the, the, the earth yield a crop or to, to have the sky drop rain on us, right? We, we gotta worship these gods to gain the favor of these gods. And Paul says, hey, Galatians, you guys are going back to that way of thinking. You're going back to a form of paganism. You're going back to religious elementary school. It's crazy, you've been accepted into the PhD program of knowing Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you're like, I'm going back to kindergarten. That's what you're doing. Only now you're not worshiping the sun God or the rain God or some other pagan God. Now you're religiously trying to keep the law of Moses as if that's what's gonna save you, as if that's what's gonna justify you. Verse 10, you, you observe days and months and seasons and years. In other words, you're religiously following the Jewish calendar. You're obligated to it as if that's what's going to make you okay with God. You're acting like you did when you were a pagan. Remember when you were a pagan, you had lucky days and you're checking your horoscope and you had all these superstitions to try to manipulate the gods and justify yourself. You're doing the same thing. You're just doing it with the law of Moses now. And he's like, why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to the treadmill of self-justification? Listen, whenever, um, whenever I get on a treadmill, like up at the gym, I immediately want it to stop, right? I never think, oh man, this is great, I love this. I want it to stop right now. And I think the reason is, is because I'm running, but I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm straining and I'm sweating, but I'm not getting anywhere. Paul says, that's what idols are like. That's what the elementary religious systems that we create for ourselves are like. You can give yourself to them. You can strain to keep them, but they don't get you anywhere with God. They don't get you anywhere. That's why Paul calls them weak and worthless. Paul tells the Galatians, hey, you're, you're already known by God. 
your sons and daughters for crying out loud. Like, g- g- there's nothing more that God, you could do to earn God's love and to make him love you more than he already loves you, to accept you more than he already accepts you, right? See, he made us his sons by grace. He chose us, he adopted us, he justified us. Why would we try to justify ourselves? We're saved by grace and we should live by grace. Paul's pastoral concern and his heart for the Galatians is that they would live by grace. And that's his concern for us too. One of the marks of well-being in the life of a Christian is that we would live by grace, according to grace. But there's a second thing he wants for the Galatians. And we see it starting in verse 12. And that is that he wants them to listen to truth. He wants them to live by grace, but he wants them to listen to truth. Uh, Look at verse 12 there in Galatians 4. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. In other words, walk in the freedom of the gospel like I do. Like live by grace like I do. Become like me, is what Paul is saying. For I also have become as you are. Meaning Galatians, when I was with you the first time, I actually lived like a Galatian. I live like a Gentile, even though I'm a Jew. Why? Because I didn't want my Jewish cultural practices to hinder you from hearing the truth of the gospel. I wanted the gospel to be the issue, not some sort of system that you felt like you had to imitate. I became as you are. You did me no wrong. Verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. Right, Galatians, you remember that. I was like, I had, I, was, I had this illness and that's why I preached the gospel to you the first time. Verse 14, and though my condition was a trial to you, remember that, Galatians, remember how difficult that was for y'all? You did not scorn or despise me, even though you could have scorned me and you could have despised me, you didn't do that, but you received me as an angel of God. You received me as Christ Jesus himself. Now, this is interesting. Verse 13 says that Paul had some kind of bodily ailment or illness that that caused him to stop off in Galatia the first time. We actually don't know what the ailment was, the illness was. The bottom line of what Paul is saying here was, I did not intend to necessarily go to Galatia uh, in the first place, but, but I had this illness and the illness is what caused him to stop there, to recover, to rest, whatever. And while he was there, he preached the gospel to them. So, so, so the word of God came to the Galatians because of a difficulty in Paul's life. I love that thought. Like, how wonderful is it to think that God might work through our difficulties, right? through our inconveniences, through our hardships to bring the gospel to others. Like God doesn't necessarily need the conditions in my life to be just perfect for the gospel to go forth through me to others. In fact, he might choose for the conditions in my life to precisely be less than perfect in order for the gospel to go forth through me because God's power is made perfect in my weakness. I love that. Now, there was something about Paul's illness that was really difficult for the Galatians. Uh, You see in verse 14, he says, um, my condition was a trial for you. 
Uh, meaning the Galatians would have been, been tempted to, to, to reject Paul because there was probably something visually repulsive about his illness. He was probably disfigured in some way because he says in verse 14, you would have been tempted to scorn me or despise me. And that word despise means to spit out of your mouth, like you're repulsed by something. So the Galatians might've been tempted to be like, dude, Paul, we can't even look at you. You must be like cursed by the gods to have an illness like that, man, you gotta get out of here. But that's not what they did. That's not what they did. They didn't reject Paul. They welcomed him, didn't they? They showed him tremendous hospitality. He says, you received me as an angel of God. An angel is a messenger of God. An angel is a divine, a heavenly being with a divine message. How would you receive an angel into your house? I'd be like, okay, come in. (laughs) You're an angel. Tell me what I need to hear. I'd be like Abraham in Genesis 18 when he was the the, the angel of the Lord came to see him. I'd be like, do you guys like anything to eat? Can I get you anything? That's how the Galatians received Paul, right? They welcomed Paul like an angel of God because they knew he had a message from God. What's more, they received him as if, as if he was Jesus himself. They showed him the same hospitality that they would have shown the son of God himself because they knew Paul had a message that they desperately needed. They desperately needed it. And here's what I want you to see from this. The Galatians' posture toward Paul reflected their posture toward the truth. Their, their posture toward Paul reflected their posture toward truth. They did not receive Paul because he was so impressive and so compelling. He wasn't. He was actually sickly and disfigured when he came to them. They they didn't receive Paul because he was so easy to host. He wasn't. It was kind of a hassle to host him. But he had the word of life and they knew that they needed it. And and so their parched, weary souls just soaked in the cool water of the truth of God's grace. The truth had finally come to them and the truth set them free. Set them free. They were no longer slaves. They were sons now. And they blessed Paul for bringing the word of truth to them. But since that time, their affection for Paul has cooled off a little bit. They've, they've kind of changed on, they've kind of done an about face on how they view Paul. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Paul says, what then has become of your blessedness? Like, what's the deal? Y'all used to bless me, I blessed you. It was a great thing, we had a great thing going. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. In other words, you would have done anything for me. That's the kind of relationship we had. Verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? What a question. Have I become your enemy just by telling you uh, the the truth? See, Paul has gone from angel to enemy, hasn't he? He's gone from friend to foe. What's changed? What's changed? Paul's message has not changed. 
He's still preaching the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. His, his message hasn't changed uh, one bit. So what has changed? I think what's changed is the Galatians' posture towards truth. The, the Galatians are being influenced by these false teachers who are telling them, hey, y'all gotta add some stuff to Jesus in order to be okay with God and to be included in the people of God. And they're listening to that. And Paul has come to them and he corrects them with the good news of the gospel. But now it sounds like bad news to them. And they're like, we don't like the message, so we're gonna shoot the messenger. This is our enemy and he's saying stuff that we don't wanna hear, so we're not gonna to listen to him anymore. They don't wanna to listen to truth anymore. I don't know if you've ever lost a friend just because you told the truth to them. That's what's happening here. And I think we as a church, I think we just need to pause and ask ourselves, what's my posture towards truth right now? What's my, what's my posture towards truth? Let me give us a couple of diagnostic questions that'll help us think about it. First of all, am I putting myself in a position to listen to the truth of God's word? Like in my, in, in my daily life, in my habits, in my routines, do I lean in and listen to God's word as if my life depended on it? Because it does. It, is my, does my devotional life uh, reflect a hunger and a thirst for truth? Am I building friendships with people who will tell me the truth of the gospel? Am I sitting under the preached word of God, not to criticize it, but to say, God, what truth do you have for me there? Am I in a position to listen to truth? And here's a second question. How do I handle truth when it's hard to hear? Like when I feel corrected by it or when I feel offended by it? How do I handle it? Do, it, it, it? do I have a humility about how I receive it or do I just outright reject it? If I'm rejecting it and I find myself in my spirit rejecting it, is it because I have some kind of system of self-justification that's being challenged by that truth? Like that truth is coming after one of my idols, like comfort or control or approval somebody's pointing out a blind spot, something, an area in my life I didn't realize I had. And by the way, they're not my enemy for doing that. They're actually my friend. <laughs> but is that why I'm rejecting it? Or, or maybe I'm rejecting truth simply because I don't like it. I don't like it. It kind of grates on my cultural sensibilities. It feels, it, it feels unpopular. It, it feels inconvenient to, to believe those things. And so I reject it. Uh, but, but am I willing to acknowledge this? that if I always agree with what God is saying, then maybe it's not God who's saying it, right? Maybe it's just the echo chamber of my own imagination reinforcing my own opinions in my own head because God can disagree with me. And guess what? God does disagree with me because he's God and I'm not. See, truth is sometimes hard to hear. And so we need to evaluate our posture towards truth because truth, Jesus said, is the very thing that will set us free. It sets us free. The Galatians had initially listened to truth and Paul wants them to listen again. He wants them to listen again. Their well-being depends upon it. All right, one last thing uh, that Paul wants for them. Uh, he wants them to live by grace. He wants them to listen to truth. And lastly, he wants them to be formed in Christ. 
be formed in Christ. Paul ends our, our passage today by, by contrasting himself with the false teachers who had come to Galatia. How can you tell a false teacher from a true teacher? It's a good question for us. One of the ways you can tell is just to look at their goals. What are the goals of this teacher? Uh, look at, let's look at the false teachers first in verse 17. Verse 17, they, the false teachers, make much of you, Galatians, but for no good purpose. They wanna shut you out that you may make much of them. What Paul's saying here is Galatians, these teachers are making much of you. They're flattering you. They're making a big deal out of you. Why? Because they want you to make a big deal out of them. They don't care that you make much of Christ, but they definitely want you to make much of them. See, see the false teachers um, have this system that they say that the Galatians really need to follow if they really wanna be spiritual. And they're like, hey, follow us. We'll show you how to do it. We'll tell you everything you need to do. If you don't do these things, you're gonna be shut out from the people of God. You're not gonna be a real Christian. And so you need us to show you the way. The false teachers don't really care about the Galatians. They care about themselves, don't they? Like they're trying to increase their own influence. They're trying to increase their own authority. Listen, beware of any teacher who's trying to build their platform rather than build the church, right? If it seems to always be about their books and their blogs and their brand more than the glory of Christ, run for the hills, man. Run for the hills from that teacher. Like if a teacher seems to be more into getting likes or retweets or followers than they are in helping people believe and apply the gospel in every area of life, run for the hills. The goals of a false teacher are favor and followers, right? They want your favor. They want you to like them. They want you to be a fan of them. And they want followers. They want you to be dependent on them. They want you to need them, right? Now, what about Paul's goals? They're a little different. Look at verse 19. He encapsulates his goal for the Galatians. Verse 19, he says, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. See, Paul's not working to earn the Galatians' favor. He's working to accomplish their formation, isn't he? He, he uses this intimately personal image to describe his heart for them. He says, I'm like a mother in labor. I, I, I'm in anguish. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm, I'm straining, I'm sweating, I'm travailing. Why? To what end? To what goal? Toward Christ being formed in you. He says, Christ, Christ already dwells in you through your faith in him, but I want him to take shape in you, right? I, I, I want him to, to grow in you, to fill you, to the, to, to the point that your life starts to look like Jesus and you start to think like Jesus and talk like Jesus and act like Jesus. One of the great truths about being a Christian is that Christ is in you. Christ is in me. And one of the great promises that we have as Christians is that God will and is conforming us to the image of Christ. And a true teacher gives himself or gives herself to that goal in the lives of people. 
John Calvin said, if ministers wish to be something, like if you really wanna be something, let them labor to form Christ, not themselves and their hearers. Like if you really wanna be something in the world, don't give your labor to forming yourself in others and passing on yourself to others, form Christ in them. And Paul demonstrates that heart of a pastor. And you can't separate the heart of a pastor from the life of the church, from a church's well-being. What would it look like for us to be doing well as a church? Well, I think we'd live by grace. I think we'd be a people who listen to truth. And I think we'd be a people who are always being formed in Christ. Those are pretty good goals, aren't they? Pretty good goals for us. Let's pray to that end and ask the Lord to be doing that in our midst. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.